Hello and welcome, friends, to episode number 23 of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm your host, Joe Webb, and this is a podcast for all of you spiritual exiles out there looking for expressions and exploration of faith beyond the confines and the walls of institutional religion. I'm really super excited for this episode of the podcast because our guest for this episode is none other than David Wimbish. And if you don't know David's name now, you soon will. David is a musician, a songwriter, a music producer, and he also happens to be the lead singer of one of my personal favorite bands, a band called The Collection that I was first um, introduced to at the Wild Goose Festival in 2019. So David sat down with me a couple of weeks ago for a Zoom call, and we talked about all kinds of really amazing ideas, um, but mostly about how music can be a tool for building connections and community. We talked about what life is like uh, for a band during COVID-19 and why vulnerability is such a key to his songwriting process. I really think you're going to love hearing from David. And by the way, um, if you are listening to this podcast on our release date, uh, September 4th, 2020, you are also listening to it on the day that David is releasing a brand new solo project. And we'll talk about that here uh, in just a few minutes. So I'd encourage you after you listen to this episode to, uh, to go out and find David's new record uh, wherever you buy and listen to your music. And as a bonus, uh, you'll get to hear a clip of one of the songs from David's new album called Surface Tension um, at the end of this episode of the podcast. So please join me in giving a very warm Accidental Tomatoes welcome to the fabulous David Wimbish. And so I, I just, I think I felt really passionate about for those kind of people, for, for people who have lost their communities who feel exiled from the, the people that they had a part in. Like I, I want our band to be able to create community that, that works for all of those people, you know, because I want people to feel the way that I did. And in those moments, a lot of times music was the only thing that got me through, you know. So our guest for this episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast is David Wimbish, and David is the lead singer for The Collection, which is a band that I first heard at uh, Wild Goose Festival in 2019, and honestly have been pretty obsessed with um, ever since. And one of the reasons that I've gotten so um, like really into uh, the band is because of, of like some of the intentionality that David has and the, and the other band members have in really working hard to create community um, around their music. And so um, you're doing some pretty neat and unique stuff, David. So um, welcome to the podcast. So glad to have you with us here on this episode. Yeah. Thanks for and, having uh, me. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so give us, give us a little background. What, what is the, the, the David Wimbish story. Yeah. Well, let's see. Um, uh, yeah, I'm David Wimbish, uh, a musical human. <laughs> um, and I started, uh, playing music when I, uh, grew up in North Carolina, kind of, kind of in Texas and then North Carolina, um, South of Charlotte a little bit in a, a little town called Waxhaw. And my parents worked for Wycliffe Bible translators. And so we were a part of the kind of Wycliffe, community there, which was called Jars. And both my parents play music. And so 
you know, I grew up being able to hear a lot of music, classical piano. My mom taught lessons. She led worship at the church, uh, led the choirs at the church. And so that was a really huge part of my upbringing. And, um, at some point I did some work for a guy at my church who, uh, it, it was some construction work and the guy who owned the house ended up not paying us out. And so the guy in order to pay me, was like, well, I have all this music gear. Is there anything you want? And I ended up taking home a, a little digital recorder and got really into recording music. And so the rest is kind of history. <laughs> so cool. yeah, I had a band for a little bit, uh, in, in high school called the Melbourne treatment. There was a bunch of kids from Wycliffe that had weird instruments from traveling around. So, um, that was kind of my first steps into playing concerts and realizing how much I loved it. And then, uh, went to school in Durham, North Carolina for a little bit, and then eventually settled in Greensboro for quite a while. And that's when the collection kind of formed around a, a community of people, um, in a neighborhood, basically just playing music together. So that's so cool doing that kind of stuff since. <laughs> yeah. So that, you know, when you're talking about your, like your first band and this kind of eclectic collection of instruments, I mean, that's still kind of, part of the hallmark of, of what you guys are doing now, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I remember when I was first getting into music, um, you know, my own music, you know, it's, at first it's like whatever my parents listened to, which typically was pretty not the best uh, Christian music. <laughs> and uh, at some point. It, I, I'm not sure what classifies as like the best. Christian, <laughs> it's, yeah, that's a whole other pop podcast topic probably (laughs) there's a few i can still hold on to but there's a lot that's pretty rough Mm. (laughs) but when i started getting into you know my own listening to my own music you know listening to the radio and getting into stuff there was so much that i liked but i also pretty quickly got tired of every band just being kind of electric guitar drums and bass uh it just felt like okay everybody's using the same three things and like our understanding of a heavy big rock concert is these instruments right now i ended up seeing this band that that existed for a little while called the salters it was pretty influential and you know they played this show it was like a it was almost like a punk rock show but they had djembes and accordions and like hand drums from around the world and horns and strings all sorts of stuff and it was the first time that i was like oh my god like this feels like a punk show or like a rock show but there's not a single electric guitar instrument. Oh, nice. Huge with those. And, and from that point on, I think I was pretty obsessed with like, how can I create that kind of feel and that kind of sound without those instruments, you know? That's cool. Yeah. And then Graham comes along with his trombone, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, when I first saw you guys at, at Wild Goose last year, one of the first, cause I'm an older guy, right? But, but when I saw, you know, that all the, inf- and, and heard the instrumentation you guys had, like my first association was like, Dave Matthews band kind oh, of, thing. Yeah. you know, I mean, he's got more of a rock jazz kind of vibe going on Ooh. with all that instrumentation, but that was, that was sort of what clicked with me, but yeah, I love, it just seems so unique in, uh, like you say, it's not just guitars and bass and, you know, it may be a keyboard thrown in there or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I think now we've circled back a little bit more to like, Oh, there is guitar and drums and bass, but like for a while, you know, we would have 15 people, 18 people on stage for kind of the early parts of the bands. And that was always like a string section, a brass section would win. So, um, you know, as the band started touring more, you just, you can't take 15 people or 18 people on the road. It's just impossible. So it eventually naturally became smaller. And I think then it was like, okay, how do we accomplish these arrangements, but with way less people on stage, you know? So now we're at a solid seven and 
there's keyboards and stuff, but I think we've, we've at least managed to kind of get the energy behind what it felt like to have a string section. If we, even if we don't have it on stage, <laughs> I miss it, but I don't miss miking a string section on stage. <laughs> oh man. I can only, yeah, I can only begin to imagine that. Yeah. Well, you've got, you know, you've got some really talented musicians, uh, in the band. And so I wanted to give you a chance to give, to give them a shout out too, because I know, you know, we all know that none of this stuff happens, um, you know, in isolation, like, you know, that, that it's the collaboration of all these talents that totally. come together. So. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. They're amazing. Yeah. I'll, the, the very quick rundown is like, uh, there's Hayden cook on bass. He and I are old friends. We've been friends since we were like 15 when I, when I had that original band. Um, and he's the best bass player I've ever played with. He's just absolutely amazing. Um, and then Graham Dickey's kind of the the next oldest in the band, um, and he I, one of his first shows with us was a Wild Goose actually one of the first Wild Gooses we, that we played. Um, but he's sweet on the horns, and then um, Joshua Ling is on electric guitar. He was kind of the next member, um, and just an amazing, amazing human. And then um, Joshua and Sarah, Joshua Linhart and Sarah McCoy, their husband and wife on keys and drums. Um, and they're just, yeah, the sweetest, best people. And then um, uh, last was Darren, uh, Darren Miles, who started playing acoustic for me when I got in a pretty bad uh, bike wreck last year uh, or two years ago and screwed up most of my body. And so he filled in for me on tour because I couldn't play anything. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, it's such a such a good crew. <laughs> Yeah, they, they, it really, and, and y'all just, you guys seem to have that kind of chemistry, you know, that, the, you know, that that's, I think a lot of times what makes the difference for a band is you can tell that you guys really love and care for each other yeah. and, that, and it comes out in the music and it comes out in the performance, I think. That's cool to hear that it, that it comes out. Cause I think that that's always been key. I mean, when, when the band first started, you know, it was really more of a collective. And so there were so many people, you know, we might play one show and these five people would play, but then the next show, three of them couldn't come, but these other two could, or, you know, whatever it was, it was a big mix of people. And, um, I just always felt like I want to be around people that I like. And my hope, my hope is that they can play a few notes. Yeah. Um, but you know, if I, I've just seen too many bands, where they really focus on the musicianship and not the the people they play with. And we hear so many stories on tour about bands that just can't even stand to talk to each other. They hate each other. It's like they, they never hang out outside of that. And I think that we've gotten kind of lucky through, through making our intention personality much more than musicianship that somehow now we've landed on a, an, an iteration of the band where we have both very strong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then and so the band itself kind of has a personality, I think, as mm. as a result of that, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you know, we you know, you've got like we were talking about your different instrumentation, and it's you know, you've got kind of a unique sound. And I wonder, one of the questions I was thinking about as I was kind of going through some notes this morning was, does that does your does the sound that you all produce? influence the way you write lyrics does it does that influence you as a songwriter in any way or is it kind of the other way around like you know you write the lyrics and the sound kind of comes to that How, how's your process work with that you know it's so interesting you ask that now because i think if i think if we had done this interview two weeks ago i would have a different answer for you um but i've been i've been working on kind of a new project with um with our keyboard player sarah just kind of a side thing to do right now during covid you know so the new 
project has been very electronic, kind of electronic pop kind of stuff. It's very, very different feel. And the lyrics that I've been writing feel so different. Like the subject matter feels so different. And it, it just feels naturally different. Like I get these sounds, I start working on it. And then all of a sudden I'm like, wow, I've never written a song about this thing before. Interesting. I that I wouldn't have written if I had been like working on a song with the collection. So I think I didn't realize how much the sound really, really influences the lyrics. Yeah. And, and how they come out. But I, I do think there's also just with the collection, like, there's been kind of like a an intentional thread through the lyrics that I don't even know if I can always name it, but it does feel like there's almost like a lyrical direction um, for a lot of those songs. So, so it feels like there's a focus and sometimes lyrics come out in a song that I'm like, Oh, like that, I don't know if that feels like a collection thing. Like maybe that's not the focus or maybe that's not what I want this project mm. to put out. And so sometimes those songs end up as like solo songs or something else, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. One of the things I've noticed and, you know, I've been listening to music my whole life. Music's always been a really important part of my life. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I've noticed with you guys is, is how lyrically and musically, you know, if I listen to an album from start to finish, like if I listen to Ars Moriendi, for instance, from start to finish without hitting shuffle, you know, or anything Mm -hmm. like that, the, the music and lyrics together tell a really particular story, I think, mm. that either one of them alone, I'm not sure does in the same way. Mm. And is that, would you say that's something intentional or is that just something that kind of organically happens, you know, as you write an album? And Yeah, I think, I think it's intentional. I mean, in a weird way, like, um, like the new record that the collection's working on, um, I wrote a song about um, being able to be like to be quiet basically, which is a, a thing that I struggle with not being quiet, but, but like really stilling my, my heart and my soul. I think like I tend to like being busy all the time. So I, I put so much work and it's like, go, go, go be busy, whatever. And, and so some of this record has been writing about slowing down a little bit. Um, so there's a song called quiet down and that's kind of like the whole thing. And then, you know, I was sitting there like, oh God, I don't want to just have a song called Quiet Down. Like I also want to have like the opposite of that. And then I ended up writing a song called Loud and the whole chorus is like, I want to hear you getting loud. And it's like the opposite. And so I do think like, I I feel, even if it's not an intentional like thread or story, I feel very aware of balance. Like I, I think that sometimes like a message goes really, really far one way. And I like truly believe those words and think they're important, but they, they don't feel balanced on their own. And so I think a, a story ends up gr- getting created because every song to me, to me, every song exists only in the context of the other songs of the record. And so a record is always weird because it takes me a long time to write the first like three or four songs. But then once I've written those and I like know, Oh, like this is what I'm writing about, even though I wasn't planning on it, like these songs kind of have this thread, all of a sudden the other songs all click into place very quickly because there's like a greater story and it's like, Oh shoot, the story is missing this piece and it needs this. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things I do really enjoy about listening to the collection is it is, it, you, you guys are a group that I want to listen. I don't, I mean, I love the songs. You've got great songs obviously, but I love to sit down and listen to a whole album. Like one of, one of my favorite 
things to do is I've got, I've got these two trees in my backyard that I hang up a hammock. Mm. Sometimes if it's a nice afternoon out and I'll take a book out and there's like a little Creek running out back there. It's very idyllic, uh, except for the gun range that's down the road from me <laughs> that you can hear, you know, all the time. But, you know, like I, I love to hang out down there and put on, listen to the river and, mm. and just, you know, just kind of go through that whole album from start to finish. Mm. Um, it's just, it's very centering and very relaxing for me. Mm. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, rather than just kind of that one off, oh, I love this song. I love that song. Um, I, I do love the way your albums come together. And, mm. that's, and I'm not sure that a lot of uh, musicians are writing albums as much anymore as they are just yeah. writing songs and putting them on albums, you know? So. Yeah. I think this, the streaming industry has definitely changed um, the album, the the view of albums in a yeah. way, which, which makes sense to me. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll end up one of the last of the generation that like loves albums, you know, <laughs> I talk to people that are younger than me a lot of times and they don't, a lot of them don't seem to care very much um, about an album as much as just a song, but a lot of them don't have the attention span, <laughs> you uh, know, yeah. sometimes I think that's, and that's not a criticism. It's just sort of a, an observation, you know, that yeah. people don't have the attention span to listen and pay attention you know, to the, to the whole thing that's unfolding with an album sometimes. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think we're, um, I think we're, we're kind of evolutionarily hardwired to have a quick change attention span, you know, like it's in, it's in our bodies to be kind of always on the alert following the next thread. And so I think we had this little period of like attention where people figured out how to focus on bigger things. And now like the internet has made it to where we're like, we're setting back into that, like, Ooh, 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 all the time. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's an interesting observation. (laughs) I never thought about that, you know, evolutionarily, but that's, that's an interesting concept. That's, that's one of those, like, I would love to be sitting around a campfire with a bottle of whiskey and unpack (laughs) that thought, you know, because it's a really interesting, interesting concept. Um, I want to turn for, for a second to, um, to some things that you and I were talking about as we were kind of preparing for this interview, um, because this podcast is, you know, a lot of our listeners are folks who, um, you know, would identify as the, the term I like to use is spiritual exiles or folks yeah. who have lost faith and trust in the institutional church, you know, might still have an interest in the Jesus narrative, but the whole institution thing is just kind of not doing it. And, and so, you know, I, I want to acknowledge that that's that's part of your story. I think you mentioned it a little bit at the outset. But one of the things that we were talking about, you know, kind of offline is that that that's not something you dwell like that whole deconstruction conversation that we can really like get bogged down in sometimes. Like you don't you don't dwell on that. You're you've got this this forward looking, hopeful attitude um, with what you're trying to do. So. Can, can you talk a little bit about like what that looks like to, to maybe not get so caught up in that whole deconstruction, reconstruction paradigm and, and instead focus on connectedness and community and hopefulness and the things that you're kind of trying to, to put at the center of your life now? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, that was a lot of words for no, probably great. a very short question. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I mean, uh, I, and I appreciate the like conversation around that. Um, not because I have any problem talking about deconstruction, but I do think, um, it's tended to just be a focus, um, for people that have listened to my music for a long time. And then as I've done interviews, that's kind of been the focus. Um, and I think that's, you know, it's because it's such a big part of people's story. And I think 
people that are on the edge of deconstruction, it's, it's really helpful to hear. Sometimes it's really helpful to hear somebody that's gone through that. Sure. Um, but I think practically now, you know, it feels like that was so many years ago for me. It just feels like, oh yeah, like that was some time in my life. And, and now I've had longer as probably a free thinking adult, you know, having gone through that than I did pre that in some, in some ways, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think in some ways it's felt like there's so many, so many of the concepts that were such a big part of my like faith upbringing just still feel so true to me. So the deconstruction feels kind of like, oh yeah, like a lot of terminology doesn't, is like not what speaks to me anymore. Um, a lot of literalism just feels, um, you know, for, for myself feels just like not a way that I can like, not a road I can start walking down. Um, right. But there's so many concepts, you know, around community, supporting each other, giving to the poor, um, you know, being able to like take up things for the, the, the poor and the weary and like, um, you know, even the message of, of Jesus, which to me, so much of that is about like the kingdom within you, you know, or like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, even as, even as like Jesus is asked whether he like claims to be God, like he just answers, I am that I am, which is basically like, it almost feels like, like God answered that to Moses. It's almost like Moses is like, who are you? And he's like, whatever. And then they're like, <laughs> and then they're like, you know, they, they ask Jesus and he's like, whatever, you know? And then like Jesus says like, you know, the father's within me just the same as he's in with, within you you know, and I am in the father is the same within you or in the father, you know, he's a, he, it, like, to me, the message of Jesus feels so equalizing around yeah. like, like whatever this spiritual thing is, wh- whether for some people they want to call it, you know, just like, ho- like hopefulness or like connectedness, you know, some, or, or like a sense of awe. Like, like I definitely know a lot of people who, um, you know, who really, really are, are against any kind of spiritual belief, but they would still speak about, just like a great sense of awe and connectedness with nature. Like even that being like this spiritual thing that we're calling God, like the message is that it's like within you and you are within it. Like that to me is such a radical idea that is really what I want to be pursuing with my life. And I think those are the concepts I connected with in Christianity when I was within it. So at this point uh, there's, there's a lot that doesn't feel that different to me other than that. I don't have much um, specific spiritual practice or community anymore just because there's not a lot of that for people who aren't sure what they believe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, that kind of moves us forward a little bit because that is, as I kind of said at the at the beginning, like that's a big part of what you're doing, you know, is you, you guys, you and the band are very intentional about creating community around your art. And, you know, I, and I've seen it, you know, at the, at the live experiences that I've been part of, I've seen it, you know, when I've watched other people's videos of your live shows and I see it with what you guys are doing online. Um, mm-hmm. And so talk a little bit about that. Like why, why is that important and how, how are you doing that? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think one part of it is just that I don't feel like I have much patience for the whole, like, like, Oh my God, you're a, you're in a band that I like, like the whole, the whole kind of like musician, I idolization. 
yeah. thing is like, I just don't have a lot of patience for it because it's very dehumanizing. I think, I mean, at least for me and luckily I, we're not a big enough band to experience all the time, but there's definitely some shows where we're around younger people where there's kind of that feeling. And so some of it for me has been wanting to just break down this idea of like, we're in the band and you're in the audience, but instead saying like, dude, we're all just people. We just happen to be people that are up here making music, but like, you know, we, we, what we're doing, like who we are as humans is not any more important than who anybody else is as humans. And so maybe we can all enjoy this musical experience together in a way that feels like more equitable than, than the typical, like we're up on a stage behind microphones. It's loud. And like, y'all just have to listen to whatever we're going to say. Um, right. So I, I think from the music standpoint, that's been part of it. But then from a personal standpoint, like I just think existing alone as a human is incredibly difficult. And um, we really like need support from other people um, and need to know that we're cared for and that we're loved even, you know, like for me, when I started challenging the things I believed and then especially once I um, left the church and, and got divorced, like I lost so much of my community. So many people that I thought, yeah. well, these people love me no matter what. It was like, no, we actually only love you if you, if you act this way, you know, if you act a specific way. And as soon as you stop acting that way, we don't actually love you anymore. Um, or we can't support you or whatever. And, and so I, I just, I think I felt really passionate about for those kind of people, for, for people who have lost their communities who feel exiled from the, the people that they had a part in. Like I, I want our band to be able to create community that, that works for all of those people, you know, because yeah. I want people to feel the way that I did. And in those moments, a lot of times music was the only thing that got me through, you know? Right. Well, and you, you guys, there, there's a vulnerability, I think too, that, that at least I've observed, um, you know, especially in your live shows, but even, like I said, even again, like in, in the way you engage with folks online, you know, that, um, that you're, you know, you're, you've always been, um, really honest about your own, you know, struggles in your life, whether it's been, you know, your faith journey or, you know, depression and anxiety types of issues and things like that. And I, I, I think, I think it comes out in the music for one thing, but I also think that people sense that, that shared humanity that you were talking about, like, you know, they feel like they're a part of your music, even when you're, you're on the stage and they're in the audience. Mm. Mm. That's cool. That's, that would be my, that would be my hope for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a lot of people who speak about vulnerability a lot better than I could, but I just have always felt like, you know, if, if you want people to feel like they're, going to be loved for who they are, then you have to make space for who they are. And, and the only way to do that is to, you know, to do that yourself, to be revealing of the, the things that you struggle with so that other people can be there. So, um, I don't know that it's like necessarily something that I, uh, work to be healthier at. Like uh, there was on the last, I think it was the last tour that we were on. We, we played, a song a lot like pretty much every night we added a song into the set that we hadn't played before and it's one of the more vulnerable songs that we have written and it was partway through that tour that I realized like oh I'm shutting I'm like shutting down after a show like I can't actually talk to people because I do feel so like vulnerably spent and so 
um, that kind of experience, I think has made me realize that like, I really want to be vulnerable and connected, but I still have a lot to learn around my own health, which hopefully will help me learn around other people's health sure, yeah. you know, to, to invite sharing and vulnerability. So it's, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, vulnerability is just key to authentic community mm. in any sense, right? If, if we can't be vulnerable with one another, how can we be fully authentic with one yeah. another, you know? Yeah. And, um, that's, I, I, I lead a little kind of alternative faith community, um, that we used to meet in a brew pub and, and now we meet online <laughs> because of COVID. Um, but that when we first started doing that, like six years ago, that was the, the reason that I knew that we were onto something was that people came and that didn't know each other. Like they might've known me and that's why they showed up, but they were so vulnerable with each other right from the very beginning. I'm like, I could have never contrived that in a million years other than just to kind of set a tone and create a space where people could be that way. And I think that's what it seems to me anyhow, that that's what you all do, especially in your live shows, but, but with your studio work as well, you know, Mm -hmm. that I think that vulnerability invites people into that kind of authentic relationship. Mm. Thanks for saying that. Yeah. That's (laughs) You never, I'm answering all the questions I want to ask you. <laughs> I, awesome. I mean, you never know with your studio work, like how it connects to people, you know, and, until you hear from somebody. So it's, it's cool to hear that. Um, Cause it, you know, it's like you work on that. I mean, at least for me, the timeline with records is like, by the time a record's out, I'm already working on the next record. So yeah. it's just kind of like, cool, that's out, you know? And then um, you don't, you don't often like hear where it goes or, or how it sits, you know, um, it's kind of the weird the weird conundrum of doing music, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things I think that, that you guys do um, that, that a lot of bands maybe struggle with is you seem to be able to have a knack for um, that the, the energy of your live performances comes through in your studio work mm-hmm. and the, the like attention to detail and nuance that I think a lot of times is, is, easier in the studio like you all bring that to your live shows too so you know i was kind of like is there do you guys have a secret sauce for how you do that or (laughs) is it just kind of part of your dna (laughs) gosh i have no idea (laughs) yeah i did not know how to answer that question Uh, (laughs) but i don't like there you know I've, i've like i say i've been listening to music for a long time and there's some bands that like i love their studio stuff but their live stuff just kind of is okay. Or, or vice versa, you know, like, um, you know, a a band that I just love to listen to even recordings of live music Mm -hmm. just to me somehow resonates better than their studio work. Mm -hmm. So, but you guys seem to, to cross that bridge really seamlessly. Cool. That's good. That's good to hear. (laughs) It's funny because our conversations on the, on the new record we're working on have been like, we want to finally have a record that like feels like we do live. So it's like, cracking me up that you say that just because I think in our heads we haven't like quite hit that yet but I, I really appreciate hearing <laughs> I don't know David maybe I'm the only one hearing it I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no I mean it's good it's really good to hear yeah thank you <laughs> yeah you know so speaking of your live shows like I've I've been able to see you twice but I've kind of been following you know what the band does online and stuff and you know you play a, a 
pretty interesting mix of venues and stuff. Like when I saw you in West Virginia, man, the purple fiddle, that had to have been one of the smallest stages you've ever been on. (laughs) I don't know, but that, that place is not big. And and I've watched other video of you in other venues where you've just got a lot more room to move around. And then I go back and look at some of the video I shot um, at the (laughs) fiddle and you, you're just so close to each other. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We, um, a lot of people in the band grew up listening to like, you know, hardcore music, metal music. And so I think we've always had this live association with shows. It's like running around, getting crazy, throwing guitars, like all that kind of stuff. And it's funny because the music we make, I don't know if it matches that, but it's like, it's just so hard to sit still. Like I think everything we think of for a live show is just run around as crazy. (laughs) (laughs) But your music's so much fun though, you know, and I think that's, that comes across in, in your kind of physical demeanor as well, I guess. Mm, cool. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you have, like, do you have a personal preference between like small venues, large venues, or does it, does, does the show change depending on the venue? And Yeah, it, it, it definitely changes. I mean, I feel like, um, there's something about like a small room. I mean, I, I always like a big stage, <laughs> Yeah, but, but there's something about a smaller room, especially if it's packed that like, I think some of the softer, more emotional moments connect way. Yeah. Deeper. You know, I think sometimes in big rooms, like you feel like you're trying to play to fill the space. And so it, it, it makes the music almost like come across kind of like more loud and some of the songs that work super well for, but then some of the songs it's like, it's hard to, to slow down. So I don't know, we've, we've been lucky enough to tour with some bands that are much bigger than us. We've played a, a much bigger array of venues than, yeah. than we would do on our own. And I remember even they were saying when, when we toured with this one band, um, you know, they had been playing rooms that were like, you know, 150 to 300 capacity rooms. And then all of a sudden they were playing thousand capacity rooms. Like they'd kind of graduated bigger listener base and, just like asking them about how that felt. And they were like, you know, we missed the 300 capacity rooms. Like that's where it felt like, like that size felt perfect for connecting with people. And mm, yeah. kind of at that bigger range, like people feel so far away, they're on their phones, they're talking and it's, it's a lot harder to have that intimate feeling. So I value both. Um, you know, like if, if we all of a sudden started playing those big rooms, I'm definitely not going to complain, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but I think that I would end up, you know, if, if we get to, to playing those size rooms consistently, I do think there's a part of me that'll miss the, you know, the small hundred people in a tiny little bar, yeah. you know, pl- thrashing loud and yelling along <laughs> <with each> together. <laughs> I loved, uh, I loved in the West Virginia show because a lot of those folks, I think, you know, probably weren't familiar with, with a lot of your music and, it's just, you know, it's a cool little venue that people just show up because they know they're going to hear something amazing. And by the end of that show, you, I think you had people that had maybe never heard you before who were singing along and dancing. And then you got down off of the stage to kind of close the show with an acoustic number and everybody's kind of gathered around. And that was, that was a really sweet moment there. I thought, well, yeah, yeah. That was a particular show, you know, shows where it's a lot of people who don't know your music, I feel like is a even kind of a different thing, but um, yeah. it's fun. Like for me, a perfect tour is when we have like, some consistent shows that people really know it. And then in between you kind of every once in a while have a show where it's like, nobody knows this and we get to play for new people and try to, you know, see if they get into it. And so that, that West Virginia show was a fun little journey into that for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's it's a unique little venue there, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. That whole town is so interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I you know, if you ever come back, you know, I'll, I'd love to show you around that area cuz that's that's kind of I grew up in those mountains, um, not not living there, but you know, just my dad and my family used to vacation up there all the time and oh. So that's yeah, uh, we spend a lot of time up there. So it's it's a very cool area, but um, I yeah I'm, I told you I was going to go down rabbit trails. Oh, it's great! <laughs> I think West Virginia West Virginia is so beautiful. I mean, the mountains are so gorgeous. So I I definitely I, I do not mind being reminded of that. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and you you worked it into a lyric there in a in a song you wrote yeah. after after that. So yeah, we we yeah. were all you know all all us West Virginians were giving ourselves a little pat on the back. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping I was excited to put that song out for, like specifically hoping that y'all caught it. So, <laughs> yeah. oh man, Amanda, my daughter, you know who was kind of the reason that you and I even met because she was the one that came up to you after the show at Wild Goose and said, you should come play at the Purple Fiddle right? <laughs> and all that kind of happened. But yeah, as soon as you dropped that single, she was like texting me, did you hear that? Did you <laughs> like, <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was very cool. That was very cool. Well, I know, um, I, I don't want it to go too long. I know you've got, um, a busy schedule today. I got a couple more things that I do want to talk to you about. Um, and, and you, you sort of hinted at it earlier on, but, um, you know, you guys had been planning to record a new collection album and then COVID hit and then you were kind of scrambling around. And But I think in the midst of that, as part of where some of this community work online has been happening mm. um, with, you know, the, the Collection Connection Facebook group and some of that. So um, talk for just a second, if you would, because I think, you know, this idea of forming community around art and music and vulnerability and stuff is so important for folks. So what, what, I mean, I know that's not really what your plan for the year was, but <laughs> do you feel like you've kind of made a closer connection though with, with some of the people who listen to your music as a result of that? Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, a big example of that is in that, in that Facebook group, we started doing a book club reading through the brothers Karamazov. Um, yeah. Which was funny because I think nobody in the group ended up liking the book. Like, oh, it's it's <laughs> you know started- it's just some light bedtime reading. I mean, <laughs> but um, you know there were there were a few people in the book in the book club that are people that I've met a couple times at shows, but don't you know don't really know. And um, so a few times to discuss the book, we would do like a Zoom call check in and all kind of catch up on how everybody's doing. And it was just cool to walk out of that and be like man, like I just met these people from playing shows in these random cities. And like, now I know them so much better and yeah. we got to talk about, you know, kind of greater concepts. So it's been cool. Like there's definitely been a group of people that I feel like I've gotten much closer to a, a scattered group of people through that Facebook group and just through doing little like online shows and yeah. um, feeling, you know, it, it's definitely been a really tough year to, I think, watch a lot of things kind of slip away that, that we were really excited about um, and I, I feel like it's also through that shown just a lot of people that are that are huge supporters of us that maybe we wouldn't have seen. Um, we, we wouldn't have had that kind of relationship uh, if this stuff hadn't happened. So trying to trying to take what good I can out of it for sure. And, and the community has definitely felt strong. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There, there was a moment um, you did an Instagram live show here a few weeks ago and um, some of your bandmates called in, yeah. uh, like it just as you were getting started and I, and I just kind of scrolled in and caught it and started watching. And 
that was, you know, talking about how your friendship and chemistry with, with the other members of the band was just so, you know, beautifully on display there in that mm-hmm. moment. Cause, cause it did, it felt like they, they really did, you know, give you a little pleasant surprise there at the beginning of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some of them, um, some of the band members I haven't seen this whole time. So, you know, it's crazy to go from like, we usually rehearse once a week. Um, at least, you know, when we have shows coming up, it'll be more than once a week. So we're used to seeing each other very regularly, you know, and then tours and to go from that to then not seeing each other for, you know, five months, four months, five months. It's been really heartbreaking, I think, for for us. So I, I do feel lucky that a few of the band members live close to me and I've been able to kind of see them. Um, actually, one of them I was just hanging out with last night and and we've been able to have at least some more similar practices around COVID. So it's felt a little better, you know, stay six feet away but hang out on the back porch or or whatever so um there's definitely been some members of the band that i've been able to get a lot closer to which has been sweet but others i've just missed the hell out of (laughs) yeah talk talk for a second if you would about like what what is it like to be a professional musician especially in a touring band you know when you can't you know get together and and do shows or even when you can't get together in studio i mean it's this is a difficult time for for people like you who do this like vocationally right yeah yeah for sure i mean i think um for us it was we had a lot of stuff planned for this year thanks to a really awesome new booking agent we signed with a new booking agency last year so um had a lot of really cool shows coming up and tours coming up and the new album and and whatnot and so it definitely was like, I think we would see pieces as, as COVID was getting going, like we would see a piece slip away and it kind of be like, okay, how can we recover it in this way? But then that would slip away. Like, okay, how can we recover? And then I think, you know, it really was a point where we just hit the like, oh, we can't do anything. Like now that now we're just stranded with nothing to do for a little bit. Um, so, you know, it's, it's definitely hard, like, especially as, we have conversations with our agent with, with other people in the industry. And a lot of people are saying, yeah, like we probably won't have shows back till next fall, you know? So then trying to look at like, gosh, like there's still another year before we might be doing this regularly. How do you, how do you keep things alive when you have seven people that live in, you know, a five and a half hour spread away from each other? Um, it definitely is a little challenging. So I think that us starting to work on the new record is giving us some hope and something to work for. And and in the meantime, I think we're just trying to figure out like, how can we keep our practicing chops up and uh, try to just stay hopeful for a time where we'll get to play live. Cause I think for us live is such a big part of, of what we do. I mean, but even more than records, I think that's where we, we just connect with each other and with other people. And so it feels like, it feels like kind of the soul of our band is, is playing live to some. Yeah. So. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, do you, do you have a sense that, that what we're going through collectively is either intentionally or unintentionally going to be influencing your work, you know, in the future? Like, you know, I mean, we all, anybody who does anything creative, right. We draw on our experiences uh, and this is, this is an experience, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, for sure. Um, like the solo record that I'm, that I'm putting out, um, coming up like that record I wrote in just a couple of weeks and it was, it was kind of like at the point where I realized, Oh, we're not going to be touring for a long time. And I don't know when we're going to be recording. That's when I, I wrote this record like kind of quickly. And it was kind of through all those experiences of just like 
loss and trying to be hopeful and whatnot. And so I think it's already influenced it in that way. Um, the new collection record kind of cracks me up because um, a lot of the record was written about like slowing down, uh, working through depression. Um, there's even some songs that are kind of like protest songs about like raising your voices for, you know, people that are, that are hurting. And so um, the record feels like it's like accidentally, it feels like I accidentally wrote it about this thing without trying to like oh, the, wow, the yeah. songs, the songs now feel like they all make almost all make sense specific around like what's the stuff that's been going on in the world over the last few months. So that wasn't intentional, but it did, it did <laughs> influence it somehow. Um, but I'm sure it'll keep making its way into stuff. Like I, I'm not very good at writing songs from other people's perspectives. Right. I just write mostly about what's going through my head, what, you know, what I'm experiencing. And so I'm sure this will keep coming out and in, in further albums. Yeah. And it, you know, that's the other part of our reality besides COVID is this sort of, you know, renewed justice movement, um, you know, around um, racial equality and, and, those really important issues. And so I like, you know, when you said protest songs, like that got the old hippie in me (laughs) (laughs) kind of excited because that's one of the things I've been, I I keep asking, you know, my, my kids, like who are, who are the protest? What are the protest songs of your generation? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, I look back to, you know, Carlos Santana and Crosby, Stills and Nash and something. I mean, I was young when all that music was coming out, but it was really formative to me, you know, um, you know, Buffalo yeah. Springfield and and some of that kind of stuff. And, you know, I just like, it feels like it's a time right now where we need good protest songs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. And just like encouragement, I think to be in, to be involved in it. It's, it's a cool kind of like crashing of time in the sense that like, I think some of the reason this like racial, awareness like racial justice awareness has been so strong is because the pandemic has slowed everyone down like people have space they have time yeah. they're seeing stuff come about and i think music can have a big role to play and, and does you know i mean there are a lot of great musicians that are putting out a lot of stuff around this um so yeah there's a lot happening there and i i think it's it's good and necessary that that stuff has been coming to the forefront and and definitely challenging to me to be looking at my own stuff as yeah. much as possible, you know? <laughs> it's it's an interesting time. It's an interesting time. Well, you, you kind of hinted uh, a couple of times now you, you've got, you've got a new solo project yeah. um, coming out. So, so what's going on with it? What can you tell us about it? Um, yeah. When's yeah. it coming out? What's, what's kind of behind it? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's called surface tension and um, it comes out September 4th. Uh, it's nine songs um, I've, I, it's strange, but I've been recording actually the place I am right now. I have this kind of temporary studio set up in a church close to me, a fellow wild goose person, uh, because you know, churches aren't really meeting in, a, in yeah. right now. So I've been able to, to use this space while it's empty. Um, so it's my first time, I guess, since Ars Moriandi recording in a church, <laughs> which wow. is really interesting. Um, but yeah, like I said before, I, I wrote it in a couple of weeks and recorded it in a few weeks. And um, I don't know, just some expressions I think about, like, like a lot of times for me, the writing of a record takes several years, you know, I'll, I'll write 50 songs in a, in a couple of years and then narrow them down to the 12 that are going to be on the record. And so 
this is the first record I've ever done that feels like really a snapshot of like, here's where my head is at in the course of two weeks. Like exactly what I'm going through. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely, definitely different in some ways, but in some ways I think it just feels like a quieter collection record. I mean, it's like, you know, a lot, there's still like strings and some horns and piano and guitar on it. You know, it's, it's just kind of not as big. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's all. Well, that's, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited about that coming out and excited to hear more of that music. And then you said you and Sarah are working on a project too then, right? Yeah. That's very, very early phases, but, um, we've, we've popped out a bunch of songs in just a few weeks. Um, and I'm very excited about what that is. So, but I don't know how much I can say about it yet. (laughs) That's okay. I mean, just, just a little teaser is good for the accidental tomatoes audience. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. We'll see what happens there. So Sarah and I share a huge love of like pop music, um, in general. So it's just kind of been fun to like dive our heads into that world and and see what comes out of it. (laughs) That's, that's very exciting. That's very cool. That's very cool. Well, you got, um, any other, any other projects you're working on, um, musically or otherwise? Um, yeah, let's see. I'm, I've, I've been producing a few records, um, that I'm, that I'm pumped about. Um, a band called the Pinkerton Raid. Um, we're, hopefully finishing that up this month. And I just produced a record for uh, an artist named Marie Miller out of Nashville and hers just came out not that long ago. And um, really, really excited about that. So um, I don't know. Yeah. That's kind of the, the bulk of it. You know, there's always things going. I, I, I wrote the first draft of the novel uh, a few months ago. And so I, it's like, there's always little projects going, but then my, my attention like is always moving to the next thing and then trying to circle back. So I don't know. Lots of stuff. We'll see what comes out, like what ends up being finished first. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. I've, I've got a hundred drafts of things saved on yeah. my computer <laughs> yeah. that, you know, have yet to see the light of day. But I, I was sitting out on my back porch the other morning. I kind of, I try to get up and just have a cup of coffee out back and just kind of be part of the world waking up, you know, in the morning. And, mm-hmm. and this poem came to me and, and I, I do a blog every week and I thought, well, maybe I'll just put that on my blog. And I wrote the poem and I, I kind of liked it, but I thought, yeah, it's not, it's not going out to the world yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> so now it's sitting in a drafts folder, you know, it, it may or may not come out at some point. I don't know. I'm, I'm not much of a poet, but every now and then, like it just a muse creeps up on me and yeah. says, here, here, write this. And yep. so you, you try to be true to that. Yeah, so, I, get, I get that. I'm the same way with poems. Like I won't even think about poems and then like, you know, every four months, one just pops in my head and it's like, okay, there's that. <laughs> yeah. Does that, does that ever work its way into your songwriting there? Does that ever become part of your lyrical work or? Sometimes, it, sometimes yeah. concepts. Yeah. Sometimes at least the concept will marinate. Um, I definitely have that with music. Like if you looked at my voice memos on my phone, it would, it would like scare you how many voice memo, I mean, all the way back, you know, it's like, I mean, just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of voice memos that are all like, here's a little chorus or here's a melody or here's just like one line of me talking. So like that stuff too is a pretty big draft folder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, but you have to do that as a creative though, don't you? To, you got to capture those moments when they come to you or they're a lot of times they're gone forever. Right. Yeah. I used to, I used to feel like if it didn't stick with me, it wasn't worth saving. You know, like if I, Oh, like if I don't remember it, then it's not, then like, why would anybody else remember it? And so for a long time, I really didn't keep track of stuff very well, unless I like really finished the song. But I don't know, this year I've started to feel like that's really silly. (laughs) (laughs) Because then I'll hear old stuff and I'll be like, 
oh shoot, like why didn't I save that? Like that would have been such a good thing. So now I'm trying to get better at like any like tiny little idea, just recording it on my phone while I'm driving for a second so that I can come back to it later. Very cool. Yeah. 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 So, so where can people find you and connect with you, David? If they're, if, if they're listening to this podcast and they've never heard the collection before, they've never heard David Wimbish before, um, where, where can they make that connection? Yeah. Um, the, the band's website is the collectionband.com and there's links to all sorts of like email, Facebook, Instagram, all that kind of stuff there. So the collectionband.com is probably the best way. Hopefully by the time this podcast comes out, there'll also be a David Wimbish music.com. There's not yet, but it, you know, that's one of the many tasks. <laughs> <laughs> so possibly there, if you want to find the solo stuff, um, but, but the collectionband.com is probably the best place. And then, you know, I'm on Instagram and Facebook at David Wimbish and there's stuff there too. So, yeah. And, and the whole band is for the most part, pretty active, um, yeah. on social media, right. Yeah. So a lot of interaction there. And, and for sure. Like for sure. Yeah. And, and the whole band keeps up with our band account. So it's kind of fun because the posts that get posted are from different people all the time and, and it keeps up fun because i have no clue i was like see a post and be like where did that come from <laughs> <laughs> you, you've never had that experience where you're like oh i wish they had <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe just a few times <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i've had that like when i've had church accounts or something like that that have like a lot of admins on there and i'm like yeah oh, I, I really wish because now we have to have a conversation <laughs> yeah, <really. laughs> yeah but but what is your friends and and you know you you work together well, it's a little less terrifying, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. That, for so, sure. They yeah. take, they take care of things pretty well. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, anything else you want people to know, uh, things you're working on or uh, your, or ideas you're having or ways to connect or anything like that or, um, no, I mean, I, if somebody's interested in connecting further, you know, that it, and on Facebook, I think that collection connection, Facebook group, you can access through our Facebook page and, um, you know, for me, that's been a really sweet piece of community that's reminded me of what Facebook used to be before it was like people posting articles and political opinions, but instead yeah. to just connect about real things like that group has felt like that for me is awesome. It's the only reason I still have a Facebook. Is that <laughs> it has, it's been really cool. I mean, it's cool to watch how, how you all in the band interact with people, but I I've watched, cause this that's just kind of part of what I do it is to kind of observe things from a 30,000 foot view. And I've really noticed like there are genuine friendships totally. forming between members of that group that mm -hmm. I don't think existed before. And that's, that's a cool thing to see. Totally. I mean, we've heard of some people who like they ended up meeting on a trip or like wherever for the first time because of that group, you know, and kind of became friends through the group. So it's cool. I mean, it's fun to me, like every once in a while, I'll forget about a thing like the selfie Saturday posts. I'll forget about it. I'll be gone all day Saturday. I won't see it. And then I'll come back on, you know, Monday or whatever. And I'll see every single, the person that posted isn't somebody in the band. It's all like people that are part of that group and everybody's commenting on the, each other's stuff. And it's like, man, this is so awesome. Like to, yeah. to see the community happen on the internet where it doesn't as much anymore. Yeah. And even, you know, the vulnerability within that, like there's been some folks that have got on that needed some community for, for various things going on in their lives and mm -hmm. to watch people rally around yeah. you know, when, when someone's in the midst of, of something hard going on in their lives. Oh. Um, so it's, that's got to feel good though, to know that somehow the art that you all create is, is somewhere at the heart of that. I think that's a pretty neat thing. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I feel lucky. I feel lucky to be a part of it in any way. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, before we wrap up here, um, one of your biggest fans is <laughs> is popping on the call here. My, Hi. my daughter, Amanda Webb. Um, Hi. Who, who doesn't live at home with her parents anymore. And so she- <laughs> <laughs> How does that so Amanda, meet David. I Hi, know- <laughs> David. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Yeah. <laughs> Amanda's still using my uh, Zoom account. Um, listeners, <laughs> listeners <laughs> can't see this, but on our Zoom call, Amanda and I both have Joe Webb on our, <laughs> on our tag on our Zoom account. So. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, Amanda, we were just wrapping up, and David's got someplace he's got to be. But I, I had said something to you earlier about popping in and didn't know if there's anything you wanted to ask, you know, for the benefit of the folks. Amanda has been a guest on the Accidental Tomatoes podcast yes. before, so she is uh, part of our world here. But <laughs> <laughs> and Amanda has her own podcast. I'll, I'll let her plug that too. But <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, you, you asked me if I had any questions for David and I would, uh, I'm a big fan of your band, obviously. Um, uh, and a thing that I really admire about you guys is that you always talk about uh, vulnerability uh, with each other and in writing your music and how that's like helped you as a band. And as a fan of yours, I've always really valued the way that you all carry that vulnerability over into your fans and like in your live performances. And so I was just wondering like how that philosophy of like being vulnerable with people, like how that's affected the way that you interact with your fans and like live performances and things like that, like how that's affected your work. Mm. Yeah. I mean, for, I think it started with just the band members um, with each other. And I think that has made like touring is an incredibly weird situation and like, being in a, a van, a small van with the same people every single day and every single night and like being crammed in like, you know, you drive like six to eight, nine, 10, 11 hours, depending on the day and then show up at a show and then you're up till three in the morning and then you have to get up at nine and pack up and do the same thing. I mean, it's just so much. And, and so no matter how saintly of a human you are, like eventually you're going to end up hating everybody around you and like sure. not to be around people. And so I think a lot of the vulnerability has been, just a necessary practice for being able to survive on tour of like, Hey, like I need you to be able to say where you're at and how you're feeling and what's coming up. So that like we can all care for you and give you the space you need. Um, but it's been cool how that's blended into like the shows and the community specifically in that, like I felt so incredibly lucky to be able to like hear from people after a show that say like, Hey, this thing connected with me in this way, or here's a story about something that I'm going through. And I, I just feel like, we have some of the most honest, vulnerable listeners of like any band in the world. And I don't know how, but I feel super, <laughs> super lucky that so, somehow that practice with us within our band, I think has like somehow like leaped into <laughs> the experience, uh, you know, as a greater community for sure. But I'm not sure exactly how, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I, I think your music cultivates some of that a little for bit. For sure. Honestly, your yeah. lyrics are very vulnerable and open and, honest in a way that I think a lot of other music isn't or tries very hard to be and doesn't always succeed in being. Mm. Um, so I think that definitely draws people in, but I also think how open and honest you are about that vulnerability amongst yourselves is part of the reason why other people who value that flock to you and your music because they find that value with you all. Mm. Mm. 
That's really kind of you to say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's been really cool to kind of get because we've got sort of three generational perspectives here. You know, I'm kind of Gen X, David, you're, I'm guessing probably millennial. Yeah. Um, and, and Amanda's firmly implanted in Gen Z. I wouldn't um, say firmly, but. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> attitudinally, you are certainly. <laughs> so, well, listen, I know, um, I, like I said, I know, David, you've got things you got to get done. And I really appreciate you taking some time out today to to talk with me. And, and Amanda, I appreciate you jumping on yeah. uh, real quick. So um, thecollectionband.com is where you can find everything that David and the collection are working on. And Amanda is at um, Remember That Time and Historical Podcast, um, where she and her sister Anna kind of geek out about their their history nerd selves. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's been that's been fun. Yeah. So, David, thanks again so much for being part of the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, and thank you all. It's been a joy, really. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, take care, and, and hopefully we can talk again soon after after some of these new projects are out in the world. Yeah, for sure, 100%. Thanks. Very cool. Thanks again. Bye. Oh, man, that was such an amazing conversation with David Wimbish. I hope you really enjoyed that chat. Um, As we kind of wrap up now, episode number 23 of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I really like to extend my deepest gratitude to David, and I hope you will as well. Uh, Once again, for being our guest for this episode and for sharing his heart and his passion with all of you listeners. As always, you can find Accidental Tomatoes online at AccidentalTomatoes.com. And across the social media world, we are at Accidental Tomatoes. Please be sure to like and follow our Facebook and Twitter and Instagram pages for all of the -the up-to-the-minute updates of the new things that are always happening in our community. You can find me, Joe Webb, at my website, JoeWebWrites.com, where I write a weekly blog. And on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Joe Webb Writes. If you have any ideas or suggestions for topics that you would like to hear about in a future podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can, again, reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter, or you can email us at accidentaltomatoes at gmail.com. And if you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to throw us up a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, iTunes or Google Play, Podbean, wherever you listen. That will help other people find us and connect with our community and participate in this conversation that we're all having together. And if you'd like to support the work we're doing at Accidental Tomatoes, you can donate through the Patreon platform, where your support helps us to offset some of the expenses of producing content for our community. Just go to patreon.com slash accidental tomatoes to learn more. So until next time, keep on growing outside the fences and join us again for another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. And as promised, please enjoy a clip of the title track from David Wimbish's new record, Surface Tension. I read the death is a friend. Sleep is something like this, brother So why can't I keep going under for long anymore? Mm, freezing my bones once again Buried neath mountains of covers Turning away from my love and facing the door 
But what is this thing I'm afraid to mention Keeping me from falling off of the edge My mind is frayed and my nerves are decayed Maybe it is only surface tension that is holding me instead 